Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, I am back just for a few days in between travels, but I'm happy to report that I have I have the opposite of a downward-facing Doug. I have an upward-facing Matt. Ooh, I like a it. Positive shout out to start start the show today i like it let's uh <laughs> let's let's hear what you so, got so i could have gone a different way with this we so we had a, a big passport issue trying to get out of the country to fly into france because i was speaking uh-huh. in belgium at veggie world brussels uh which went awesome i did make it there thankfully um but we we were in line we had flown to, from Asheville to charlotte we were in line to board the plane and uh they were checking passports and they stopped my wife uh and said nope you can't get on the plane because your passport expires a month from now, which was after our, our scheduled return. But apparently, a lot of the countries uh, in Europe, and I think even a few others, have this treaty pact, whatever it is, that, that they say you can't enter the country if your passport expires um, within three months of you your scheduled return date. And I guess that's because oh. you can get a, theoretically, you could get a visa for three months. Some of them, there's even some weird three plus three rule where it requires six months lead time. Uh, wow. So we had no idea about any of that. So my, my downward-facing part of the story was that was that American Airlines let us book with a passport number and expiration date entered on the site without any sort of bells going off. Uh. And then that they let us get on the plane in Asheville, too, to go to Charlotte. But that's not the focus of this. They <laughs> The focus of this is that they I was we were panicked. We were thinking, we're, I mean, this whole trip's not going to happen. I'm not going to make my talk. This is, you know, thousands of dollars down the drain. And... Uh, they said, go to the Atlanta Passport Office, which is a four-hour drive from Charlotte, and they can do, like, overnight or, or one-day passports there. And they said, we will, we will push your flight back 24 hours. Not, not Nobody had to wait 24 hours. They didn't push the whole flight back. They just said, you can get on the next flight 24 hours from now. And uh, <laughs> so you got to be back here then with your passport. And I was thinking, I was thinking, this is not going to happen. Like a, a government agency type thing. I just thought they're, they're going to get there. We're going to drive all this way. Then somebody's going to, you know, power trip and, and not let us do it. Um, but we, we got there, got a hotel, got in a car, all this extra stuff. And the Atlanta Passport Agency, I guess that's their name, they were the friendliest, nicest people I've ever dealt with anywhere. And they were, they were just, chipper and happy and seemed to like their job, seemed to like the people and just moved it along and we were out of there. I think we did it. We spent 10 minutes talking to them and not even that, spent three minutes talking to them and had to wait for about an hour and a half um, for them to rush this thing. And then we drove back to Charlotte, got to the airport with, with three hours to spare and then uh, everything worked out. So that's, that's really amazing. I, I can't believe that they would turn around that quickly. That's, yeah. And I, and that, I mean, just more so the fact that I was expecting, just you know, all, every every history I've had with government agencies is that right. it's just the worst experience. Right. You, you picture sitting in the DMV for like four hours and then being told you don't have the right information. Right. And just no one caring. But it, this was the complete opposite of that. Uh, so hugely thankful to them. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad you guys made it. I'm glad uh, I got to hear a couple of the stories yesterday. So sounds like you had a really good trip and uh i don't know i'm sure we'll probably talk about it a little bit more at some point yeah i'm sure we will we had a good time and uh i found i found europe to be halfway vegan friendly so more oh. more upward facing thoughts <laughs> well that's good i'm glad to have a little positivity in the yeah we, we need more positive we sure do and, and the event was awesome and uh very well attended got to meet uh 
uh, a longtime listener to the podcast named Steven, and uh, that was cool too. So all a really good trip, and um, now I'm headed to Remedy Foods, uh, or Remedy Food Live in uh, Hilton Head for a little little family trip combined with work, and should be a good time. A lot of friends will be there, so I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. Yes, so today we've got an interview that is a, this is a different type of interview than we've ever done before. It is with uh, our friend, both our mutual friend, and a uh, huge part of Nomad Athlete, Susan Lakey, who, uh, for those who don't know, has, has been with this this blog really since almost the beginning. I think it was in probably in the first year, uh, maybe even like six months after I started it, that I got an email from Susan who just was telling me some stuff about a marathon she'd run, and it, that led to a guest post, and then she eventually was a regular writer for Nomad Athlete. Now she does all of our social media, or almost all of our social media, and uh, just a huge part of this brand. And in fact, Doug, she... So some people know that you were not the first, uh, the first Nomad Athlete Radio podcast co-host. There's a guy named Ben, uh, who who mm-hmm. actually who I started it with. But before Ben, it was just me and Susan. And I had asked her, I you know, podcasts were were the new thing then. They were the they were the MTV of the of the early early 2000s. All the kids were into them. Uh, and I said we got to start a podcast for this to go with this blog. And I I didn't know that Susan was deaf. I had no idea because we had only communicated by email. And uh, I said, hey, like, let's let's do this podcast. I think it'd be really good. You know, me and you, male, female, like, just would be a nice dynamic. And you know, we got along. We joked. So I thought the podcast would be perfect. And uh, I think she delayed a long time in writing back or something. And then I saw on her social media, she she on on her own personal Facebook, she was like saying stuff like, you know, I don't know what to do. Should I should I kind of divulge this secret to readers or tell tell readers the truth or something and i didn't know what it was and i was like man what is going on like how come why why suddenly all this weirdness and uh a few days later she she emailed me and told me just just the story that she was deaf and that she she wouldn't be able to do a podcast for that reason um but i'm really glad we were able to do this podcast because we we kind of did it in a in an interesting way where we we sent her the questions, someone read her the questions, she answered the questions, and then we recorded ourselves asking the questions. Is that a fair summary, Doug, of how it went? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she can read lips and, uh, and yes. speak. Obviously. And we have all hung out actually in person uh, when we did a, a DC little Nomad Athlete race group just before uh-huh. I moved to Asheville. Uh, and you, me, and Susan were all there, and we all hung out. And uh, yeah. We also all hung out at her house, remember? In, in and then we did the book tour, yep. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she can read lips, and when you're there in person, it's not a problem to communicate. Uh, but when it's a podcast like this, of course, we had to had to do it this different route. So anyway, uh, I think it's fun. It's just a fun, different episode that we got to do that. So she's got a book out now, which is called "Life's Too Short to Go So Fucking Slow." And uh, I don't know, Doug, it's, does she use like an asterisk in the title, like uh, like <laughs> yeah, Mark Manson's books? That yeah, <laughs> just just one asterisk <laughs> over the U. Is that all it takes these days? That's that's all it takes. I had kids these days. I when I was <laughs> when I was a young buck, we had to have all four symbols: hashtag, uh, oh, asterisk. Uh, I, I've sign. even seen where people switch the U and the C. Oh yeah. Which when you're like reading it, it looks right. it looks. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Oh, I don't like for, that. For though. a dyslexic man like me, I, it just blends right what, in. What so does the world come to? <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's the title of the book, uh, attention-grabbing name for sure, and uh, you can get it at velopress.com or at Susan's website, which is susanlakey.com. That's Susan S-L... No, that's not right. That is Susan L-A-C-K-E, lakey.com. 
Um, anything else, Doug, before we jump in? She's been, our, I mean, she's been writing lots of blog posts. She's our resident triathlete. She's the only person on the team who knows anything at all about triathlete. Uh, hence, she's the one who writes those posts for us. And uh, actually has done quite amazing things. Just still, still to my astonishment, she, from being like a, a couch potato, I don't know if she'd ever done a 5K, um, but she, she was a totally inactive couch potato, self-described. And uh, she finished an Ironman like 20 months after that. Which is it's just mind blowing to me. If I think about it, if I thought about myself having now done a hundred miler, if I wanted to do an Ironman, I would think, okay, that's a that's a five year, pro, you know, project to do from now. So just from from zero to Ironman in, in twenty months or whatever it was uh, is astonishing. Mm. Absolutely, yep. She's she's determined, and so this is this can be a cool conversation, and uh, we're excited to share it with you guys. All right, Susan, so let's just go ahead and come out and address the obvious. We're not actually interviewing you live for this. Actually, we submitted these questions to you ahead of time so that someone could read them to you in person and then you could respond. Uh, you're deaf, but you read lips. That's why I am deaf, which is also why I have this accent. When you are deaf and you're born in Texas, you put those two together and that's just what comes out. But I really appreciate you being so accommodating on recording this podcast today. So Susan, I remember when you came clean in a blog post on Nomad Athlete a while back, I think it was called something like The Power of Denial, where you talked about how denial was this really powerful tool, both as a deaf person and as an athlete or a triathlete. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you meant by that? It's funny when I think back on that, because I remember being so scared to out myself as a deaf person because my whole career as a writer, nobody knew I was deaf. And it's not because I was hiding it, but it's just because it never came up. My whole life I have lived as if the deaf thing wasn't a thing. And that's the power of denial. My parents raised me with the belief that I could do anything I wanted to do. They never said, no, you can't do that because you're deaf. They said, okay, let's give it a try. And sometimes that meant that we had to work around circumstances. Like when I said I wanted to be in the band, um, obviously I can't hear a lot of what's going on in band. So my parents and I worked with the band director to sit in front of the big bass drum so that I could feel the beat and stay on tempo. And so it was never like, you can't because you're deaf. Instead, it was just like, okay, let's proceed as if this isn't an issue. And so it never has been an issue for me. There always is a workaround. And it's true for triathlon as well. I've never felt that I can't do triathlon because I'm deaf. My ears have nothing to do with what my legs are trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's funny. I, that explains so much to me now, Susan, about uh, your personality, about just why why you're the way you are and someone who, who kind of just won't settle for uh, being told no, which I think is awesome. We talk a lot about that in, in the Seth Godin philosophy on this podcast. Uh, of It's called Picking Yourself. And, uh, you know, basically that means just you're not waiting around for someone else to tell you this is okay or you're good enough or, you know, you are chosen and now you can go on and do this thing. You just do it. Uh, and, and so to us, you're such a great example of that picking yourself philosophy, not just with triathlon, but we, you mentioned your writing career as well. And that started, I think most people 
may know that it started when you were actually the first person besides me who regularly wrote for the blog. You were just a reader and uh, you one day emailed me and we started a conversation and that just led to you writing one blog post, which led to you writing many blog posts, which then led to you writing for more blogs, magazines, and now you've got this book out. Uh, and I think that's just such an amazing story of picking yourself. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened uh, from your perspective and what is it that that someone who might listening to this who might want to launch a career like yours but they haven't been quote unquote picked by someone just starting from scratch just like you did like what could they learn from you you know matt this is all your fault you told me when i did my first marathon that you wanted to know how it went and i took that literally if you remember i wrote you a really long race report in an email and I remember you wrote back and said, this is great. Can I put it on the blog? And I had never thought of myself as much of a writer before. So for you to do that was surprising. And it was more surprising when people liked it and when people asked for more. And it opened up a lot of doors for me. Because of my start with you, I was noticed by the editor of a running magazine, and I was offered a column there, and that led to writing for even more magazines, which eventually led to me writing a book. And I don't know if so much that I chose myself as it is that I just allowed myself to see where the journey led. I was open to opportunity. If somebody asked me to write something for them, I said, sure, why not? Not going in with the expectation that I'm a writer and this is my career, but rather this is a cool opportunity. Let's have some fun with it and see where it goes. Not to brown nose or anything, but uh, Matt, I think there's probably a lot of people who uh, blame you for for them reaching their their goals over the years. <laughs> that, that is pretty brown nosey, does. <laughs> well, I don't know. I hope there are. I'm sure there's people who blame me for other things too, like the person who, like the guy Stephen, who uh, who I met in Amsterdam, who really big fan of the podcast, and uh, he actually blames us for getting him into beer. He told me, which which I was, <laughs> I, I thought was funny, but at the same time, I'm like this is supposed to be a healthy podcast. Uh, and, and we sprinkle in the beer stuff to kind of keep it light and fun. But uh, I don't know. I guess I guess we got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's take a step back. I know that, uh, Susan, your, your story has been featured a lot on I Mean Athlete over the years. But if you're new to the, to the blog or to the podcast, uh, especially because we haven't really shared it much on the podcast, but if you're a new reader or listener, then you probably haven't heard much about Susan's story. So Susan, why don't you just share a little bit about how you got into triathlon? Well, it actually was a cigarette that got me into triathlon, believe it or not. I was smoking outside my office one day when my boss sat down next to me. And he asked me if he could have a drag of my cigarette. And that surprised me because he was a very active, a very driven, healthy individual who did Ironman triathlon. But I still handed my cigarette over to him, and he smiled at me and stubbed it out in the ashtray. Now, that really pissed me off, and he insisted that I didn't need to smoke, that I needed to find better ways of coping with my stress. And he suggested that I join him for swimming laps in the campus pool, which was his outlet for stress. 
And even though I thought it was the dumbest thing I had ever heard in my life, he was still my boss. And so I wanted to get on his good side, so I agreed to go swim laps with him. And the rest, as they say, is history. Right. And of course, that is the same Carlos about whom uh, a large part of what your new book is about. It's about your relationship with him. But what was it about that encounter with Carlos and your relationship with him that that made you actually listen? Like, why did that go beyond just some some random guy nagging you about getting in shape, which people happen, you know, happens to people all the time? Why did why was this different? Well, he was a random dude who nagged me to get into shape, but he was also the person who believed in me when I wasn't believing in myself. I really was in a difficult part of my life where I felt like everything was falling apart. And that really knocked my self-confidence around tremendously. And so when Carlos came into my life and he said, you know, I believe that you can do better. I believe that you can be better and I'm going to help you get there. It was something that was very appealing to me. It was something that I needed in my life. I needed structure. I needed somebody to push me. I needed an ass kicking in the worst kind of way. So even though it was uh, something that was quite alarming to me at the time. You know, I was an overweight train smoker um, being pressured to go swimming and start running. It really was the best thing that could have happened to me. And what do you think other people can learn from your relationship with Carlos? The biggest thing that I've taken away from my relationship with Carlos is that it really matters when you have somebody in your corner unconditionally. When you have a cheerleader, a mentor, someone who believes in you, even when you don't believe that you can do it. And that's something that I try to do for the other people in my life. I try to be their cheerleader. I try to listen to their big ideas and say, that sounds amazing. How can I help? Even if I'm not entirely sure that person can do it, I'm not going to say that. That's not my role. My role is to lift them up and to support them and to be their cheerleader because I know that when I had somebody who did that for me, it changed my life. Obviously, I would not be where I am today if it hadn't been for that cigarette that Carlos stopped out. I never would have gone swimming with him. I never would have learned about Ironman triathlon. I never would have started running. I never would have written for you or any magazine. I never would have had a book. My life changed because of that one cigarette outside of my office that day. And so really... When I look back at all the changes that have happened over the last 10 years, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for that one cigarette. Yeah, I think that it's amazing and it's not surprising because uh, so many of your blog posts, Susan, that you've written for Nomad Athlete over the years have that that kind of undercurrent to them that is about uh, supporting others and being supported. I think the only posts on Nomad Athlete that are actually about how to be a good spectator uh, are written by you, of course. So no surprise there. Um, I do want to shift you. I mean, you've done amazing things with triathlon and now ultra running, and I want to get into that so that people can can take some inspiration, maybe some tips from what you've been able to accomplish there. Um, before we do, though, can you tell us a little bit more about your book? The book is called Life Too Short to Go So F***ing Slow, and it's titled after something that Carlos said on a bike ride that we were on together. A lot of the book is these stories about the various ways that Carlos pushed me to be 
better. It's also about the way that our friendship changed and evolved over 10 years as Carlos transitioned from somebody who was a 13-time Iron Man to somebody fighting colon cancer. And Carlos passed away two years ago, and when he was in his last stages of his life, we were all gathered in his hospice room, all of his friends and families, and we were telling stories about Carlos. And a lot of these stories were really, really deeply moving, but they were also funny. And when the hospice nurse came into the room and said, I've never heard so much laughter coming out of a hospice room before, that got me thinking, maybe I need to be writing this down. Maybe this is something that uh, will help me carry on Carlos's lessons and legacy. It very naturally progressed into a book, which is um, what is out today. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Now, as I've been flipping through your book over the past few days, just kind of really trying to dive into it, I can I can see both that, that tribute and how you're kind of honoring Carlos, but also just we can feel that relationship that you guys had, and, and it makes you makes me want to want to really be able to kindle some sort of relationship with someone else and just really be that cheerleader, be that support, be that rock for, for somebody else. So I'm really glad you're able to share the, his story and, and your relationship with, uh, with all of us. All right, so we definitely want to discuss your achievements with triathlon. Uh, you have long been the resident Nomad Athlete triathlete. Since Matt and I aren't triathletes, we have relied very heavily on you and your expertise in the sport. But you really jumped into it headfirst, right? In less than two years, you went from a self-described couch potato who was having a cigarette with Carlos to an Ironman finisher. And that is, that is pretty darn fast. I don't know that I know any other way. I don't do things cautiously. I don't do things progressively. When I am in, I am all in. And that's true for anything in my life. So... It really wasn't surprising to a lot of people in my life that I went all in so quickly, uh, given that I am just a very driven person by nature. So, I mean, I know that's your personality, but is that something you would recommend for for other new triathletes to go to go so big so quickly? It's not the worst idea ever. No, it worked out for me, obviously, and very well, I might add. But it's also an individual decision. A lot of people want to do triathlon. They want to have that financial medal hanging around their neck. They want to say, I am an Ironman, but they don't want to do the work to get there. And so it's absolutely possible to go on this fast track from couch potato to Ironman, but you really have to be willing to do the work. It's not about the financial medal. It's about what it takes to get there. I get that, and you can you can work your butt off for for two years and maybe build up the fitness to you know something, I guess to what it takes to finish an Ironman. But for me, like as a runner, there was so much that came from experience. Like just I feel like just being a runner for for I don't know seven eight years. The difference between me then and me at the beginning, sure, tons of that was physical, but a whole lot of it was mental and just stuff that came from experience, from making mistakes in races, from going out too fast, from learning how painful that was learning to listen to my body, all those different things, learning how to eat, those things that I kind of feel like only came with experience. Uh, I mean, do you, are there things you wish you would have known or had that experience with before the first Ironman when you kind of look back on it now? Or was it better just to ignore all that and kind of be, be uh, you know, blissfully naive and just go right into it? 
I was fortunate in that when I started training for Ironman, I was surrounded by people who knew what they were doing. Not just Carlos, but all of our friends who had been in triathlon for several years. So I had this wealth of resources available to me where I could ask questions, where I could have someone tell me that I made a dumb mistake and here's how to fix it. I was really able to draw from other people and get their support. So if there's one thing that I would recommend to a new triathlete is to find people who know more than you about triathlon and to ask them for help. Don't be too proud or too stubborn or try to go it alone. You absolutely want to lean on the people who know more. Right. And that goes back to what I mentioned before, that whole just support friendship role. And that's that's one of the central messages of your book, right? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people have said that this is a book about triathlon or that this is a book about how triathlon changed your life. And it's not what changed my life. Triathlon and running have been very good to me. But the thing that changed my life was the friendship that I gained with Carlos as a result of riding 100 miles on a bike or going on these really long trail runs in the desert, of going to all of these races with our group of friends, having these shared experiences together was really what helped me to grow and evolve as a person. All right, so as the token ultra guy, I don't know if I can say that mad or not, but um, I'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that you just ran a 50-mile ultra marathon. That's awesome. Congratulations. What'd you think? I actually loved it. It was very hard. It was very long. There was a dust storm that blew in about halfway through that had 45 mile per hour sustained wind, and that part kind of sucked. But I also felt a tremendous sense of satisfaction when it was over and that was a really cool thing to experience so it probably won't be my last ultra marathon well good i'm so glad you liked your first ultra marathon and you know as an ultra runner i have this kind of perception of what triathletes are like and what you know big big city triathlons and ironmans are like and i, I just picture this kind of i don't know all this gear and all these people who have invested all kinds of money and time into it. Like, were you struck at all by the differences between showing up at an ultramarathon versus what you're used to in, in, triathlon, in triathlon? When you go to the race expo for a triathlon, it's a big production. There are a lot of tables, there's a lot of gear, there's a lot of uh, what we call peacocking, where people walk around and, you know, strut their stuff. There's a lot of ego in triathlon. And that can be a good thing. That can be very fun. It can be very entertaining. It can also be very motivating, which is cool. There's really no production like a triathlon, especially an Ironman. And on the other hand, when I went to pick up my race packet for my ultramarathon, they handed me a bib and a couple of safety pins. And then they said, here is a wag bag in case you need to take a shot. And that was it. It was very low-key, very uh, casual, very relaxed. And 
people really didn't have a lot of ego there. Everybody was welcome. Uh, there was real no, there was really no peacocking. It's just, what's this fun, cool, let's go out and see what our bodies can do type of thing. And that was refreshing. They're very different, but they're both equally great communities. Uh, Doug, I don't know if you agree that that is more or less exactly uh, the way that I pictured an Ironman event going down and, and the type of people that, <laughs> I mean, and I guess it sounds like Susan thinks uh, that is good. I, personally, that's why I choose ultra running. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm much of a strutter. No, I don't know. But but uh, some people are. And I think some people, like Susan said, that uh, that that is really motivating to some, to the right person. And at, and at the yeah. right time, too. For me, like in the early days, those rock and roll marathons were just so exciting with all that big action and activity and the big hubbub around it. And now I'd, I'd much rather do something quieter and, you know, <laughs> where nobody notices. <laughs> anyway, Susan, uh, what uh, what's next for you? What's next in 2018? I'm doing a 24-hour race uh, in January, which I'm really excited about. And I'm actually working on my second book right now. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is this book is an exploration of all of the different forms that running can take. So I'm spending the next year traveling the world and participating in a lot of different races and running events to experience running beyond just the 5k and the marathon. It's really so much more and I'm really excited for all of these adventures and misadventures. Yeah, sounds sounds Susan like you've got it really tough for the next year. I really feel bad for you having to having to travel all around the world and run and do all kinds of crazy races. So <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. I, I, I think that's pretty neat. It it really sounds awesome. Uh, congratulations, Susan, on everything. This is this is amazing. I'm just so happy to see you have re- you know, reaching this level and and having a book come out and all the great stuff that's happening with your career and with your uh, now with your running. And uh, just very very appreciative for you uh, taking the time to do this for Nomi Athlete Radio. Thank you. It's really great to be on this podcast. I love you guys. All right. So that was that was cool. That was a different style interview for us. It was for a sure. first, for sure. A, a, a first, for sure. But that was that was pretty cool. And it's great to uh, great to hear Susan talk about her achievements. And uh, and I'm just I'm you know I like I said I, I got the book and I've started reading it and I'm really excited to fully dive in. Um, and if you want to get the book, you can pick it up, right? We, uh, we're linking to it in the show notes on nomadeathlete.com. And I think you could also get it at, on her website. Is that right? Yeah. Velopress.com or SusanLakey.com. Lakey is L-A-C-K-E. And, uh, she's got a link to it there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I do want to reiterate, she's been such a huge part of Nomad Athlete, especially in the early days when she was writing, I mean, she was writing a post a week for a long time and, uh, and now she handles almost all of our social media and uh, still writes for us now and then, wrote our triathlon roadmap guide with me. Uh, so just, you know, she's been a huge part of this brand, and uh, of course I would love it if you uh, would, would check out our book. All right, well, thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, sounds good. Bye, everyone.